0: And now the quote of the day by George Bernard Shaw, Irish playwright and so much more. Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. We all have lived our lives one step at a time to where we have become the interpreter that we are. Many steps along the way, many moments, many people, many influences have created who we are. In today's episode, we learn a little more about Cormac Leonard and his journey from long-haired hippie to the interpreter that he is today, and all the steps in between. Let's get started. So let's go back a bit now. We've gone into the whole system in Ireland, and this is nice, but let's talk about you. Let's go back to the years when you were growing up. You had a, a hearing family, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay.
1: So no no deaf members of my family um, that I was aware of anyway growing up.
0: Yeah. So why did you decide to get into interpreting? How did that path, how did it start?
1: Well, I was studying linguistics uh, alongside history in, in college. My first degree, I suppose I was about 18, 19 and i was just looking for some kind of activity something to do my college years i i I knew that there was um lots of clubs and societies and stuff like that uh obviously i did i did the usual as well there was yeah there was a little bit of drinking and partying and stuff like that but um I I just saw there were so many different organizations for students, and so many different hobbies and interests that I could I could take up. Yeah. So I just saw sign language classes, and I was really interested, partially because I'd already seen a little bit of it sign language in my linguistics readings, and I'd been following that up a little bit. Now at the time, there was nothing but references to ASL in Mm -hmm. the library of of university. Some some to BSL as well, but nothing but ISL. Mm -hmm. But I, I was already aware that ISL was different in some way I wasn't quite sure how mm-hmm. so I went along to the classes and I had a wonderful wonderful teacher called Mark McCaffrey
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mark is now the qualified deaf interpreter ah. and we've worked together on uh, there's a regular poetry festival we work together and his work is just absolutely amazing yeah. but at the time he was you know just like me he was a scraggly long-haired um, uh, undergraduate actually no sorry he wasn't an undergraduate in, in the college at the time but he you know i think we got on because we were both long-haired kind of hippie looking dudes at the time and um <laughs> wait a minute what year was this 2000 this was 1990s starting 1995 i think so oh this okay is, this is a okay. while ago when i had yeah. enough hair to put in a phone <laughs> it is no longer the case and certainly in the future will definitely no longer be the case but um i just fell in love with this language and the way that mark taught it i think i'm very lucky in the sense that ireland has a long tradition of deaf people teaching sign language which is wonderful in itself Mm -hmm. um it also has a very long tradition of deaf people being the ones to sign the news on the television rather than hearing people who Mm -hmm. can sign so there's a lot of really good heritage there Mm -hmm. but there's in the sign language teaching there often hasn't been the resources to teach isl Uh, in terms of knowledge about the grammar, Mm -hmm. facial expression, all these other aspects of the language. Mm -hmm. And so quite often teachers will just revert to sign English because it is is something that resources were there for. Mark was completely different and he was, I mean, he's a performer. He's been involved in theater. He's just, he's just a poet, basically just even Mm -hmm. in his his regular signing. And I just, this just clicked with me that this was visual, that this was, um, tangible. And it was just, it was something I fell in love with. So thanks to him, I got interested in the language and I learned from other great teachers as well. Deaf teachers like Stephen Bates and Patrick Matthews, who a lot of people in Ireland would know. And that then eventually brought me to interpreter training. Now, at one stage, I was also working as a researcher for a deaf television program. And I met a lot of deaf people and interpreters to that work. And Seeing interpreters work changed my perspective as well, but because before that I had realized that interpreters did their thing, but I always, I had this thought in my head, and I can't believe I thought it now looking back. I thought to myself, well, interpreting doesn't look very creative, really. I mean, people just say <laughs> stuff and then the interpreter signs the same stuff for the, you know, yeah. the signs to inter- mm. So I don't really think there's enough of you know creativity in there. And it was only through seeing interpreters working, particularly there's a, a kind of mm-hmm. a trio of siblings uh, in the mm-hmm. interpreting community in Ireland, the whites. They're all codas. They're from Kerry, Catherine, Veronica and Willie and definitely working with, especially with Catherine and talking with Catherine. I realized there's so much involved in this job. There's so much involved in terms of mm-hmm. the language, the cultural differences. It really mm-hmm. just isn't the same as taking it from language A, putting it in language B. Mm -hmm. The creativity is is immense that you need to have for interpretation to work well. So that convinced me then, this is something I need to pursue. And I went into college and did the interpreting diploma, which was two years at the time. It's now a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. And it all went from there.
0: Wow, that's nice. How involved was the deaf community during your training as an interpreter at the college?
1: Well, I think from the very start, the CDS, the Centre for Deaf Studies, has had deaf staff members Uh, certainly just in terms of the basics, in terms of ISL teaching. So Mm -hmm. um, colleagues like uh, Patrick Matthews would be one of the the founding figures of the Centre for Deaf Studies, and then you would have had other staff members. So uh, my colleague Teresa Lynch, who, while I was studying the interpreting stream of the two-year diploma, she was studying the ISL teaching stream. Uh, So she's now um, one of the ISL teaching staff in the CDS. Uh, Carmel Gretton, also another colleague of mine, has been teaching there for years. So w- one, one thing that has been great has been seeing deaf academics develop within the, the Centre for Deaf Studies. And it's really important as well to have them as role models for not just the deaf community, but also hearing students coming in. And I often kind of think to myself um, about interpreters, anyone coming through the interpreting diploma or degree course in the CDS, has had exposure to the cream of the crop, the best in the business in terms of ISL teaching, mm-hmm. in terms of ISL fluency, in terms of, of, of general kind of lecturing and the, mm-hmm. the cultural resources that they can pass on. So um, yeah, I just think they they have been they've been fantastic. And uh, I know that they have worked with other deaf staff members as well over the years, and hopefully that'll that'll continue.
0: You first got your degree in history and linguistics you said and then you got the diploma or did you kind of do that simultaneously simultaneously not simultaneously, but uh in parallel uh
1: i i really wish i was the, the kind of human being that could do those two things in parallel um <laughs> no i i would have originally done my my bachelor's and then straight after that i would have done a master's in um communications and cultural studies which Again, I managed to link into my kind of love and sign language in the deaf community. Mm-hmm. I did a thesis about uh, politics and the deaf community in Ireland and deaf organizations. And then after that, I it was a while before I went back into education. So I did the diploma in 2003, finished 2005. Mm-hmm. So that was a good few years after I'd done my master's. Sure. So no, they would have been separated out. And I mean, after I did my master's, it wasn't clear that I was going to become an interpreter. At that stage, I was worked, working in a very different job. And I certainly didn't have many thoughts at the time about doing interpreter training, simply because there wasn't regular interpreter training available at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the centre itself only took in its first group of students in 2001. Um. And prior to that, interpreter training was available on an ad hoc basis. So I would have, have had colleagues coming in to do training in cork university college cork Mm -hmm. and then before that there was a one-off course in trinity college dublin but there wasn't anything regular you couldn't put this on your list of courses to do after school because the courses didn't exist unless you were lucky enough yeah um i was offered a place on the course that happened in cork but i decided not to take it at the time Mm -hmm. and i think that was probably a good decision for me because by the time i finally went into the training once the center had been established uh, it was just the right time for me in terms of my own fluency, my own mm-hmm. knowledge of the community, and it just seemed to work work really well at that point. Yeah.
0: So to get into the Centre of Deaf Studies, uh, did you have to have fluency in ISL first?
1: Yes, at the time there was a an assessment of your ISL skills to to be admitted to that diploma course. I see. Okay. Uh, that requirement isn't there any longer because the course now. Because it's a four-year degree course, it's linked in with the the general, uh, the, the CAO process, as it's called in Ireland, which is how kids in secondary school list the preference of courses that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a result of that, you don't have that requirement. So a lot of the intake now for new groups of potential interpreting students, um, most students won't have any sign language. Um, I'm lucky enough in the sense that quite a few of the groups that I've taught have taught have had codas or... Siblings of deaf adults mm-hmm. in that group. So they do have some knowledge that they bring to bear on their experience. But for the most part, now it has become, it's, it's a very popular course still. Um, but for the most part, it is students arriving uh, that don't have mm-hmm. prior ISL fluency necessarily.
0: Yeah. You mentioned court, but today are there other programs in the country or is it mainly there in Dublin? Um,
1: well, it's, it's kind of an interesting time at the moment for that because there really hasn't been many attempts towards interpreter education other than the centre. Mm-hmm. There is a, a, a completely different way of training and assessing interpreters that's UK-based. Uh, signature is the organisation that, that kind of leads that. Mm-hmm. And there have been some attempts to to train ISN interpreters. And I think we have a couple of people on the register who've come through that system. But essentially, the CDS has been where most training has taken place. But there is now a Northern Ireland-based group of students who are working towards their Signature Interpreter qualification. So there's a group of six mm-hmm. students who are based locally in the province of Northern Ireland. And that's really reflective of the fact that there is a dire need for more ISL interpretation in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not an awful lot of interpreters there. I think there's only three registered interpreters, registered qualified interpreters in the province. There's not that many interpreters in the South willing to do regular commutes to Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively near the border, but when I say relatively, it takes me 45 minutes to get to the border. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, that would mean I would do quite a bit of work in Northern Ireland. I do an awful lot of work that I'm remotely then for Northern Ireland ISL users. And quite often, the situations where face-to-face interpreters are needed because the but, but because of the fact that a deaf person's rurally isolated, they're in mm-hmm. a farm in the middle of County Tyrone. It's... You know, it's really difficult for any registered ISL interpreter to get to them. So that group of six interpreters is going to be really useful in terms of addressing that gap.
0: Are they doing the signature system because it's part of the UK? I
1: believe so. Yeah, I think it's a structure and a framework they can easily apply. Because simultaneously, there is a group going through BSL interpreter training based in Belfast following the signature Mm -hmm, model. mm -hmm. And so this is kind of in parallel to that.
0: Okay. The signature model accepts... Using ISL rather than BSL in this case.
1: Yeah, it's a framework of qualifications rather than being language specific. So they've developed they've developed training courses in the past around ISL. So it's just a matter of, kind of reusing that same framework for ISL.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Reuse the framework. Hmm, just like these episodes. That's right. You can share with a friend and they can use these episodes too. Click on the show notes to share the podcast thank you let's go back back to you specifically where are you from originally
1: i am from drohada which is about 40 minutes drive north of dublin uh (laughs) it's it's a difficult name for a lot of people outside of Ireland to pronounce. So it's Tra-ha-da. Okay, It's it's actually where I was born, even though I don't think I realized that for the first 25 or 30 years of
0: my life. I just assumed. Well, you were young, so it was hard to remember, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I don't remember everything that happened. It was a crazy time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I lived most of my life in North Dublin and just kind of assumed that I was I was a dub, you know, just like the rest of the dubs I'd meet at, at work. I was told very, very forthrightly by many city Dublin people, you're not a dub, you're a coachy which in other words a bit of a redneck not really a city boy yeah which i took great offense to and then I offended that i was born in drogada which isn't even in county Doma. but uh we're very near there still i've lived here now with uh my partner now my wife for the last 10 years and we're, we're just outside Drada and it's a great part of the world um yeah. fantastic accent as well drogada is one of the few places in ireland where you drop your oars so it's a little bit like the southern english accent. Yeah. The, the big phrase in Drahada is, instead of a Mars bar, we say a Mars bar. A Mars bar. Yeah, a Mars bar. That's, you know, um, I don't have the strongest Drahada accent in the world at all, but... Uh, <laughs> It's a great part of the, part of the country.
0: Well, you're half dub. So, you know,
1: technically half Cork. My mother's from Cork as well. So ah, okay. I'm kind of, I was about to say bilingual, but that's not, well, technically it's <laughs> kind of true as well. I, sp- I spent four years in Cork, actually interpreting in Cork city, uh, another fantastic part of the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for my mother, I kind of have that heritage. And then for my father, the North Dublin loud heritage. So yeah,
0: you're a, you're not bilingual, but bilectical? Bicultural, cultural, certainly. Uh, Oh, okay, bicultural—that's much better. Yes, (laughs) I'll stop making up
1: words.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the daily working interpreter. What would a normal day or work week look like for you?
1: Um, I suppose I can really only talk about myself for that. Sure. it, It was interesting. I was I was asking a colleague about this during the week, and they said, "Look, I don't think there is such thing as a typical day." for an ISL interpreter. And and I'm imagining that's the same no matter where in the world you are. Um, And I know that as well, I think COVID has kind of like been a like a bowling ball. It's like knocked the pins all over the place. And so Mm -hmm. what we do regularly now wouldn't have been the same five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I was looking through a a survey that Sizzly had done with its members back in 2018 and the kind of things that members were doing, the things they wanted CPD on, the, the, the concerns at the time, very different to the concerns now. But I suppose a lot of interpreters in Ireland start off doing work in third level education and mm-hmm. we don't really have a structure in Ireland where we have interpreters in the classroom for primary and secondary teaching. Mm. Um, that has tended to be taken up by special needs assistance instead. Um, there have been a couple of cases of qualified interpreters in the classroom, but generally it has been special needs assistants. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in deaf schools, those special needs assistants are often deaf themselves and will often fulfill an interpreting role, which is not really what they are supposed to do, but it is a need that has arisen. And there's been very little recognition of the crucialness of that role in the Mm -hmm. deaf special needs assistant. That's kind of partially been addressed now by the deaf interpreter training course we have. Mm -hmm. Um, So most of the interpreting will be at third level. And it's often been said over the years, that's your bread and butter. Yeah. That's the kind of interpreting, once you qualify, if you're very lucky, a nice path for a new interpreter is to be, be part of a team working with a deaf student, maybe in their first year of study, that you get to know, you get to know the subject, you go through, you go through that course with them year by year. Mm-hmm. And it's a really nice way of entry into the profession. It doesn't always work that smoothly. Sure. But that's what a lot of newer interpreters will do. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as we get older, mm-hmm. sometimes wiser, not always, but we, we'll branch out then, we'll start doing a little bit of medical work, um, workplace, um, and then just those little bits and, and bobs of interpreting that we all do. Some students mm-hmm. decide to go into legal, uh, mental health. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 10 years out, your average week looks very different to what it did after two years out. And of course, then there's the remote element of thing in the mix as well. So we have, we've actually been, I think as a profession in Ireland, we dealt really well with with the Coming to the pandemic and the switch to remote, we've used what I think there's enough, there's a nice, tidy number of us here in Ireland that we can set up a WhatsApp group and text in questions and concerns we have about, for example, remote interpreting technology. What's the best webcam? How do you get the right settings on Zoom? So we had lots of really intensive conversations on WhatsApp through group Zoom meetings, deaf interpreters and hearing interpreters together to try and support each other through that. So, yeah, your average ISL interpreter now would do at least some uh, of their interpreting remotely, I would say, which is also great for, I've mentioned before, about the Dublin rest of country division. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of the interpreters outside Dublin, the coming of remote interpreting was great Mm -hmm. because in a lot of cases prior to the pandemic, there wasn't a huge amount of work coming out. And now there was this whole other pool of interpreters for deaf people to be able to work with online. Now, coming out of the pandemic, there's been somewhat of, of a reversal of that. A lot of places want to go back to face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Certain situations, that's fine. It's better to do it face-to-face. But it also means there that there's renewed concerns about, look, how sustainable is it for me to be in this part of Ireland if remote work is, is shrinking? Yeah. And that might come and go in, in the future, but you know that's one of the concerns at them all.
0: I assume it's like every other country. Most of the deaf community is in the larger city. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, so that work is there as well.
1: Yeah, and then you have the the case of people who are rurally isolated, but then that kind of middle tier as well. So there'll be several kind of cities or large towns in Ireland that would have deaf communities that I think the issue sometimes is that because work is not necessarily given to an interpreter just because there happens to be deaf people nearby because there's that complicated system of a deaf person asking for an interpreter, that being approved, what agency is given the job of looking for an interpreter, is that interpreter on the agency's books? Yeah. So I've known colleagues before who've come up to Dublin for their training from somewhere like the southeast or the west or uh, one of those areas. And they're determined they're going to get the qualification. They're going to go back to their area mm-hmm. and they're going to be interpreting for the local deaf community that they know. Yeah. And they've tried that and there just hasn't been the volume of work face to face in their area to justify mm-hmm. Either not commuting back to Dublin every so often or not Mm -hmm. having a wider area than just their town or doing a lot of work remotely. So, you know, that that has definitely been a thing as well about the remote remote working. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe the pilot program of the voucher system, if it comes back, that might help with that
1: absolutely fingers crossed i think it's the big a a big thing for the deaf community now is they want that scheme back so yeah i think it's 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 one thing we definitely can unite with you know interpreters and deaf people want this scheme back because it was just uh, a watershed it was
0: great yeah it fills all those holes of where the laws don't support and it also gives the choice to the deaf community of what they want their interests their special interests all of that yeah it's Uh, wonderful
1: absolutely and i think for interpreters as well it's you know there's a lot of work that you get offered now that's remote but it tends to be seminars or presentations mm-hmm. something that's fairly dry and dusty and a lot of interpreters don't get a lot of they don't have a real draw for that kind of sorry draw as in love a kind of a, a deep conceited affection for it yeah irish language pop it in there <laughs> um they don't have that but they might have let's say if there was a local garden show or a local amateur dramatics production in their hometown, they might be like, yes, this is exactly the kind of thing I've wanted to interpret for years, but it's always in Dublin or some of the other bigger cities. And it's finally happening here in, you know, my little part of the country. So it, mm-hmm. it, it opens things up and it opens things up as well in a way that means that deaf people, no matter where they are in the country, can have interpretation, and can have access.
0: Yeah. You know what? We are creative. We use language and culture in so many ways to make our interpretation. We manage our environment, our work environment, every single time in a flexible way. That takes creativity. And I can hear some of you American listeners out there thinking, huh, that was not a Southern American accent. That was more Boston or Northeast accent. Hmm, perhaps I'm wrong. But I digress. Now let's get to the important points. In Ireland, they had a long heritage of deaf signing in TV. And that influences public awareness. It creates an idea in society that deaf can do certain things. And I think other countries can take a lesson from this. Involving the deaf community in jobs in leadership roles helps create awareness, which allows for more access to work, to leadership roles, to teaching at university and training interpreters. As Cormac said, having deaf leaders, deaf teachers, training interpreters is a high benefit for the new interpreters, as well as a role model for the deaf community, but more importantly, a role model for these new interpreters as well as old interpreters, sorry, experienced interpreters, to see such language models, such opinions and views through their eyes to help shape our own opinions and perspectives on our profession. And the last point, many interpreters live in remote locations, rural areas, small villages, which means their work is sometimes limited But there are still deaf living in this region. It means that those interpreters need support because the deaf community needs the access from interpreters who are qualified, who have capacity to do the work. Cormac mentioned that the small group of interpreters in Ireland have connected using WhatsApp. I would suggest maybe we could take that lesson maybe not using WhatsApp, but remember that we can connect as a group, a small group in a region or region to region, or perhaps even the urban areas connecting with the rural areas. And of course, the national associations might have a role in that connection, but sometimes you need a quick answer from a colleague for that day. And having that connection with the small group will help. We must not forget that support one another and remember where others are so next week we'll continue our talk with Cormac and we'll see where the journey leads us until then keep calm keep creatively interpreting I'll see you next week take care now